0: So if you would like to turn to Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us what kind of work do you do where do you come from what is your country from what people are you he answered i am a hebrew and i worship the lord the god of heaven who made the sea and the dry land this terrified them and they asked what have you done they knew that he was running away from the lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now Jonah provided a huge fish to swallow. Sorry, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the depths of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me me in forever. But you, my Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. but they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So we're going to be uh, looking this week and next
1: week at uh, this little book of Jonah, which only occupies two pages of the Old Testament. And uh, I've entitled this mini-series Jonah the Reluctant Prophet. Jonah was uh, a real person. He was a contemporary of Amos and he lived in Israel at the time of Jeroboam II, who was not a great king. He was a clever king uh, and a successful king, but he wasn't a godly king of Israel. He managed to bring um, a measure of economic prosperity to the country and um, he restored the northern borders of Israel, but it was not a great time for Israel. There was a lot of um, uh, religious and spiritual formalism at the time. Hence this little book, uh, which Jonah wrote following his adventures in Nineveh, and he came back and he wrote this little book, and it's primarily intended for the nation of Israel. Now, you can read about uh, the political and um, historical context just a little bit, if you're taking notes, Um, in 2 Kings chapter 14 and verses 23 to 29. There you can see something of the relationship that Jonah had with Jeroboam II, and uh, you can read more about it in that little passage there. Now, Jonah is often referred to as one of the minor prophets. We call them the Minor Prophets, because they're not very big. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and um, uh, Ezekiel uh, are known as the Major Prophets because they wrote large tomes. But these Minor Prophets, Amos, Hosea, Zephaniah, Obadiah, Jonah, and so on, they're known as the Minor Prophets because their books are relatively short. And we often skip over them, but actually what we'll find this week and next week is that there's a huge amount in this little book of Jonah that is primarily a book about God. If we make the mistake of thinking it's about Jonah, please cast that from your your mind. This is a book primarily about God, and so we're going to be talking a lot about God this week and next week. Jonah um, is also the link to the little book of Nahum, which is written um, about 100 years after Jonah. And we're going to be referring a little bit more to that next week. And that is a little book. Um, If you don't know it, I certainly didn't know it until I started to study this little book. It's a little book that refers to the city of Nineveh. And if you want to know more about Nineveh and its inhabitants and their behaviors, please refer to this little book of Nahum. We're going to be referring to it next week. Last thing to say about Jonah is, of course, that he was in the prophetic tradition. In other words, he enjoyed an intimate relationship with God, and he stood before the people delivering God's message. And his message is entirely consistent with that of the other prophets of the Old Testament. The nation is called to repentance and faith in God. Judgment is warned and future salvation is promised. I'll say that again because it's important that we recognize that Jonah was a true prophet. The nation is called to repentance and faith in God. Judgment is warned that if the nation doesn't change its ways it will be judged by God and future salvation is promised. Now if you think about it from a Christian point of view that is exactly uh, in coherence with the new testament gospel we are called to repentance and faith we are warned about god's judgment future judgment to come and salvation is promised us if we believe and repent i want us now to turn to a few slides that we've got so chris is going to leap into action and uh, here's my first heading if you like jonah the reluctant prophet this is part one of two so we're going to be looking at running resignation and repentance next slide please chris now here's a map that if you stare at for long enough will start to make some sense it's the um uh, a map of the middle east at the time that jonah lived and as you can see where it says canaan that's down i guess around eight o'clock just near the middle, Canaan is where Jonah lived. And the important thing to recognize in this little map is that there are three major regional powers that operated at this time. There's the southern regional power of Egypt. Now looking over towards the east, that's the right-hand side, you see see the two other major powers. In the south, um, you've got Babylon, there and then just to the north of Babylon you've got Assyria and Jonah was called to preach at the capital of the Assyrian empire which was Nineveh you can just see that there at about 1 2 o'clock something like that who the hittites were and the hurrians were is not entirely clear to me but you can read about those in the history books Uh, I guess from their names that they were fairly speedy, violent people. Um, Now, Israel at this time was being threatened by the Babylonian Empire. Sorry, not the Babylonian Empire. That would come about 100 years later. It was being threatened by the Assyrian Empire. And in fact, at this time, they were waiting for the imminent invasion from the east into their country. They had allied themselves with the southern empire of Egypt, but that hadn't gone very well. So, um, Nineveh, the capital of uh, the Assyrian Empire, was a large city, Uh, It's been excavated, Uh, the archaeologists have turned it over, and it was a large city, and it was a very impressive and sophisticated city. So we know that it has its part to play in history. Now Assyria was known to be particularly barbaric and cruel, as Deborah hinted at earlier. We won't dwell on that, because I know that there are children present but they were a very cruel people and as I say you can read about them a little bit more in the book of Nahum. Let's go on to the next slide and I'm just going to take you through the story. So the word of God comes to Jonah to go and preach against the city of Nineveh, of Nineveh. but he has other ideas. He doesn't fancy that and we're going to see why in a moment or two. So he goes down to the local port, of Joppa, which is in current Israel today. You can go to Joppa today. And he finds a ship that's going to to Tarshish. He pays the fare and he gets on board. But then things start to go wrong. Let's have a look at the next slide. We heard a a little bit more earlier uh, from Deborah about the great storm that arose. And I'm gonna be talking a little bit more about that in a moment. Actually, it didn't turn out very well to Jonah. He ended up being thrown overboard, and you can see a picture there of the sailors throwing him overboard because in doing so, Jonah had told them that the sea would grow calm, and that's exactly what happened. Next slide, please, Chris. Ah, now, um, this is Larry the lobster. He belongs to Chris Birch. And he's made an appearance, Um, I'm not quite sure why, but not now, Larry, not now, please. So let's move Larry out of the way. Ah, here we are. This is the proper, the authentic sea monster. This is uh, the great fish. It's an artistic impression, obviously. And as you can see, Jonah is in the water there, waiting to be swallowed by this great fish, which is clearly not a native of the Mediterranean Sea. It's probably come from some great Pacific ocean elsewhere but here he is just about to be swallowed and then the next slide shows uh, it's a very inferior slide this one because it doesn't show anything at all of what it must have been like but um, I don't think I've found a slide on the internet that could possibly demonstrate how awful it was this is uh, Um, pretty weak really. But here's Jonah inside the belly of the fish, as it were, surrounded by all the things that the fish has eaten. Next slide please, Chris. And uh, here we have, this is my favorite slide of all. This is a picture of uh, the great fish uh, spewing Jonah out, as it were, and as you can see, if you've ever been sick, if you've ever vomited, This, the the face of this fish captures it perfectly. So there's Jonah, uh, being vomited out. Let's have a look at the next slide. Ah, now this was, um, not quite sure how this made it into the presentation, but this was an early uh, draft of my skeleton, if you like. So we had Jonah the runaway prophet, the repentant prophet in chapter two, the regurgitated prophet, and then the restored prophet. But I moved on from that to this next slide, which is uh, the skeleton of what we're going to be looking at today. There was a momentous mission that Jonah had been called to. He entered upon, I'm afraid, a catastrophic cruise, which found him singing a psalm in the slime. And then we're going to be looking at this story in the context of Luke chapter 11, where our Lord Jesus interprets the story for his generation and for ours. So, thank you for all those slides, Chris. Uh, let's go to our first our first heading, the momentous mission. Now, as I say, Jonah is called to preach in the capital city of Israel's enemy at that time. She's about 500 miles away. I think we ha- We may have another slide that shows quite clearly um, what, um, here we are, yes, thanks Chris. Um, we're gonna see clearly what uh, Jonah was called to, but then where he ended up. Now here's an excellent slide, it's much better than the one I originally gave him. So you can see Joppa there, um, and what he should have been doing was traveling to the northeast about 500 miles overland, but instead he wants to take a 2,000 mile cruise through the Mediterranean to eastern Spain which is where the scholars reckon that Tarshish was. In other words Jonah was fleeing as far away from God and the mission that God had called him to as he could possibly go and um thank you for that Chris and um it's as if our pastor, Nigel, had been called to go and preach in Moscow. Um, Russia is not officially our enemies. We don't get on particularly well with them, and hopefully they're not going to invade us anytime soon. But it's as though Nigel had been called to go and preach in Moscow, in Red Square, to Vladimir Putin, but had then rushed off in the other direction completely. Jonah flees in the opposite direction. And at first sight, you think, well, why is he doing that? Firstly, he knows he can't escape from God. He knows that God has created the heaven and the earth. And to travel um, in the opposite direction from God is not going to get him very far. He knows that. But he has some reasons for doing so. Let's just explore those for a moment. So first of all, going to Nineveh meant probable death. As I say, um, uh, the Assyrian uh, people were barbarous and cruel, and they were Israel's enemies. And to have the prophet Jonah turn up uh, in the city square preaching judgment against Nineveh was not going to go down very well with the inhabitants or the powers that be. So it, it meant probable death for Jonah. So that's a pretty good reason why he didn't want to go. Secondly, he hates the Assyrians. As I say, they're barbaric and cruel. They're awful. Read the book of Nahum. Why should he have anything to do with them? He has been called to be the prophet to Israel, and he doesn't really understand why God would call him to go and preach against Nineveh. There's a third reason. We read about this in chapter 4, verse 2. I'll just read that. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You see, Jonah suspects, knowing God's character as he does, that God may have mercy upon Nineveh, upon the Assyrians. And that's another reason why he doesn't want anything to do with this mission. In effect, Jonah has resigned his commission. He's given up faith in God, and he's doing the opposite of what God wants him to do. And he's going to make it as hard as possible for God to send him to Nineveh let's go on to the catastrophic cruise now maggie and i yes there's a wonderful picture i think from the the film jaws which is how um the boat ends up with that terrible shark virtually eating it great film jaws and um the catastrophic cruise this is what happened to jonah as he's traveling to tarshish and Uh, Maggie and I have been on uh, a number of cruises in recent years they weren't as catastrophic as that at all but we did have a storm off the coast of Norway once and um, this enormous ship carries five thousand people absolutely enormous when you stand and look at it it's it's like a city block it's huge but we were in this storm off the coast of Norway and um, there were a few big waves and we hit this wave and an orange jumped out of the fruit bowl and rolled onto the floor but that's how bad it got frankly it wasn't that bad Um, and frankly as you read chapter 1 of Jonah you are struck by how catastrophic and calamitous this cruise really was There are three ways of looking at this this chapter. We're gonna see it through uh, the eyes of the crew, through the eyes of Jonah, and then we're gonna be looking at what God was doing. First of all, the crew. Now the crew, uh, in their usual way, they set sail from Joppa to Tarshish, it would have taken several weeks, but this storm blew up and they could not manage the ship. Things got so bad, that they were soaked to the skin, the wind was blowing, the waves were pounding the ship literally almost to matchwood. They got so desperate that they'd thrown the cargo overboard, they knew they were going to sink. They had resorted um, to prayer. Now some of these guys were probably experienced mariners, but they had resorted to prayer. And they knew (laughs) somehow that something had caused this great storm. They didn't know what it was, but they knew that something was afoot. Something was amiss. And they went down into the hold and they got Jonah, who was sleeping soundly, and they brought him up to the deck. And in their primitive way, they tried to find out what was going on. And they cast lots. That was uh, an ancient and fairly primitive way of trying to find out what was going on. They cast lots, and the lots, the lot fell on Jonah at double six, when Jonah's turn came around. And they get Jonah, they ask him question after question about who he is and where he's going and who he serves and so on. And Jonah has to recognize that God has caught up with him at last. And he tells them the truth, I'm a Hebrew, I serve the God who created heaven and earth. And once he said that, they recognize that God, the Hebrew God, the God of the Old Testament, has brought this great calamity upon them, this huge storm. And they listen to his story, they believe him, they try and row to shore, but they can't. And in the end, they say to him, look, what should we do? in order to be saved and they say and he says well throw me overboard uh, and you'll be saved The the storm will calm down and as you read their story what you find is what happens to us as we go through life and we come face to face with god it's a little mirror if you like or a parallel of what life is like when you come face to face with God and you recognize that you can't save yourself, you have to believe God's messenger, you have to obey him and then you come to worship. You believe God's messenger, God's preacher, you obey the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then you come to worship because after they've thrown him overboard, they worship God and they turn their lives around. Now, believe, obey, worship, take the capital letters of those words, you have the word bow. And that is what you have to do when face to face with the living God. You have to bow, believe, obey, and you worship him. So, Jonah leaps through the storm. We've looked at what happened with the crew, but what about Jonah? Well, these days when you get on board, uh, it's great. Uh, your luggage uh, is brought to you by your steward. He comes in and then a few minutes later, he brings you a glass of champagne. You open the doors, you look outside, the sun is shining and you set sail. It's a great experience. It's one I had to be Persuaded to go on because I didn't really fancy going on holiday with 3,000 other people, but I was persuaded to go. And uh, as you start off, it's almost a favorite, uh, it's my favorite part of, of the trip because you've got the whole week ahead of you and um, a glass of champagne looking outside, it's great. Uh, but that wasn't Jonah's experience. He did seem to be sleeping rather well in the hold of the ship down in his cabin. I'm not sure he really had a cabin. He was down there, but he slept through the storm and he was immune to his own plight and that of others around him. But they bring him up on deck. Um, He realizes what's going on. And he comes to the realization that this is all his fault. This mighty storm is completely down to him and he tells the sailors to throw him overboard and this is where we have this lovely link i didn't know deborah was going to say this you have another link with the way that god deals with us you come to a realization of the truth as jonah did you recognize that you are responsible and then thirdly you have to rely on god's mercy when he was When he told them to throw him over the side he knew that at that point he was a goner he had to rely completely on god's mercy but then that little process is a mirror image again of what um, that process is when we come to to recognize that we are sinners before god there's a realization of the truth you have to take responsibility And then you have to rely on God's mercy. One other thing about this little story, which I think is important, the Old Testament is constantly pointing forward to the New Testament and you have to read the Old Testament through uh, the spectacles, if you like, of uh, the New Testament. And from time to time, you recognise that there are things happening in Old Testament books which point you forward to the New Testament, and here is one of them. So when the sailors throw Jonah overboard, there's a hint, there's a picture, there's a um, a foretaste of what. God did in sacrificing his son to still the storm of his wrath. So there's a a picture, um, looking forward, that when our Lord Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, God's wrath was stilled, was abated. And when you come to believe that, you recognise that God has had mercy in sacrificing his son. The prophet, often in the Old Testament, is um, a forerunner of the Messiah. And that's exactly what happened here. When they threw him overboard, they sacrificed him, and the storm of God's wrath was stilled, and they came to worship the living God. But then thirdly, what's God doing in this catastrophic cruise? What is God doing? Well, he causes the storm in the first place. He ensures the lot falls upon Jonah. He stills the storm. And then, of course, he sends the fish. The Hebrew word for sending the fish is actually appointed. God had appointed this fish to do this precise job. And as Jonah is thrown overboard, God sends the fish, which swallows him up. It must have been a mighty fish. And then, amazingly, he causes it three days later to vomit Jonah onto dry land. Not vomit him out into the sea, but onto dry land. This shows how God is in control of everything that happens in chapter one. So, let's move on to our third point which is singing a psalm in the slime this is uh chapter two singing a psalm in the slime now unfortunately chris um, hasn't provided a a picture probably just as well because i leave it to your imagination of what three days in the belly of the fish was like. Um, Indescribable, I think, is the word that we use, we should use, and we're probably best leaving it there. And funnily enough, in the belly of the fish, Jonah didn't develop writer's block. He writes a song. Maybe a slightly surprising thing to do, But he writes a song, and chapter two, most of chapter two, is what he wrote. He comes to the realization as he's drifting down and he goes down to the bottom of the sea, the seaweed wraps around his head. In these few seconds before death, he recognizes that God has been dealing with him. Now, this is the mark of a person who is being spoken to and dealt with by God. They don't blame their circumstances or the people involved in those circumstances. They come to recognise that God has been dealing with them. And they recognise that the situation that they are in has been brought about by God and that God is speaking to them. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. What does Jonah say? You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah is not blaming the men. He's not blaming his circumstances or the fish or anything else. He recognises that God has been dealing with him. And then verse 7 tells us very clearly that Jonah returns to faith in God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. God returns to faith, uh, sorry, Jonah returns to faith in God. And he recognizes in verse 9, salvation comes from God alone. In a way, this is the key verse of the whole book, and we'll be looking at it a bit more next week. But in saying this, salvation is of the Lord, salvation comes from God alone. That is the realization that Jonah has come to. He's come to an end of himself, he's helpless, he's hopeless, he's thrown himself on the mercy of God, and he's come back to faith. Now, these first two chapters are a picture of how we come to faith because we're born running we're born running as hard and fast away from God as we possibly can see any two-year-old and how they behave and you recognize that we are born sinners we're not born good we're born bad and we spend our early years and maybe our teenage years, maybe our 20s and 30s and 40s, maybe the whole of our life running as hard and fast away from God as we possibly can. We don't want anything to do with him. But at some point, if you're here today as a Christian, you come to realise that God brings us to an end of ourselves. He orders our circumstances, people come into our lives and we return to him in repentance and faith. We change our minds about God. We recognize that Jesus has died for us. And we come back to him in repentance and faith and we ask God's forgiveness. He saves us and we sing a song of thanks to him. Now, do you recognize this in chapter two as being your experience? Can you recognize yourself in Jonah? that's the challenge of chapter two has this been at least to some extent your experience but then fourthly and finally the sign of jonah this is a very strange little book and it gets stranger the further you go through it but what helps us is that at least once, possibly twice, the Lord Jesus refers to the sign of Jonah, once in Luke chapter 11, and also in the Gospel of Matthew as well, in two different ways. Um, The Gospel of Matthew reference is about the resurrection. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so I will be in death three days and three nights is a reference to the resurrection but here in luke chapter 11 we have a rather different uh reference so the lord jesus says to those who doubt him to the scribes and pharisees sadducees and so on who are asking for a sign prove jesus that you're the son of god prove to us as if he hadn't many times over in his miracles, prove to us, give us a sign that demonstrates empirically that you are the son of God. And he says, no, I won't give you a sign, but I will tell you this. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. Now, in the Luke version, that sign is clearly the preacher. God sent Jonah to be a preacher to Nineveh. And every generation, every generation since, has wanted signs and wonders, an empirical demonstration that the Bible is true, that all that you've said about Jesus is true, and that I need to repent. I just need to have it proven, demonstrated to me in a way that I can taste, touch, and feel that it's all true. But Jesus said, no, I won't give you that. I will give you the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah was a preacher. That's the sign that God gives now to every generation. God's sign is the preacher. What a blessing, isn't it, to have at least two in our church. Nigel Stokes. John Tyndall, semi-retired, but what a great blessing we have in God giving us faithful pastors who preach the message of God to us. That is the sign of God's favour. If you think about that, there are several men in Epsom, in our town of Epsom, who are preachers, who are God's sign to us. What a wonderful A demonstration, if you like, of God's favour upon this town, that he should send several preachers. And, of course, what a privilege we have as a church that, at the moment, we are planning to contribute to the training of a third preacher, Dave Robertson. What a wonderful privilege that is. But here we're left with a question. What's your attitude to this sign? Do you realize what a great blessing it is to have a preacher preaching the gospel to you at this time in your town? Next time, we're going to see what happens when the preacher delivers God's message. Some very unexpected things happen and there's a twist in the tale, but we'll leave that for next time.